Is there ever a time in which the follower of Christ is justified in disobeying the government? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, February the 7th of 2011, and I'm your host, as always, Toby Logsdon. Thank you guys so much for joining today. God bless you. We are just privileged to have you uh, joining us for our next lesson in Romans. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 13. We're going to cover the first three verses today. Uh, Some interesting stuff to cover today, some things that we haven't touched on at all, I don't think, um, since we've been doing the podcast, not in the apologetics lessons, not in the Romans lessons. I'm not sure that this is a subject that we have ever touched. So go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 13. We'll go ahead and get started with that here in just a moment. Uh, You guys probably noticed that this past Friday I posted uh, the first sermon that I preached here at uh, Linwood Evangelical Free Church, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was basically uh, focused on how our identity changes when we understand and respond to the identity of Christ, and uh, that becomes who we are. It becomes a a core part of our identity, and it's something that we should embrace. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that message, and I'll try to, um, I guess for the next month or so, I'll try to post my sermons on there, Uh, but you can go to the church's website to download the sermons that I am giving over here. Uh, the, The website is www.linwood, L Y N N W O O D E F C linwoodefc.org. So, uh, yeah, you can find all of my messages on there. You just go to the the front page, um, go to services, and then 2011, and just click on the date of the service that you want to listen to. And, uh, and yeah, you can find my sermons on there. And like I said, I'll try to post my, my sermons fairly regularly between now and maybe the end of the month. And then after that, uh, yeah, just go to the website, go to the church's website to get the podcast there. But anyway, uh, we have just a ton of material to cover today. You'll be surprised uh, at how much you can talk about uh, civil disobedience. That's the issue that we're talking about today. And um, yeah, this is a a touchy issue. This is a very controversial issue. So uh, put your thinking hats on. That's what we're going to need today for sure. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. God, we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you that we are... Uh, still able to read your word, and that it still speaks to us in our day and age today, Lord, that it's still relevant. We pray that you will draw us closer to yourself during this time, that you will make us more like yourself, and that you'll teach us how to live lives that are pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's, let's face it, the problem of evil is something that Christianity is constantly being confronted by in our day and age. Now, our Bibles reveal that God is both completely righteous and also that he is all-powerful or omnipotent. There's nothing 
that's logically possible that God is incapable of doing, according to our Bibles. Of course, he's limited by his nature. He cannot be and not be at the same time. That is logically impossible, so God can't do it. Uh, It is contrary to God's nature to be able to lie, so the Bible tells us that God cannot lie. So yeah, there's nothing that's logically possible that God is incapable of doing. And yet, if we take an honest look at the world around us, We see sinfulness. We see brokenness everywhere we look. It's a broken world and corruption is everywhere. It permeates every human institution and all of human existence. The problem of evil is so significant that a lot of people just refuse to believe in God because of it. And I received, uh, just this past week, I received an email from someone who said that it's dangerous for us to say that God is the standard of goodness because God is the one who tells us that he's the standard of goodness. And so to judge him by a standard which is inside of himself seems precarious, according to the person who wrote this email. However, As those of you who are connected to me through social networks like Facebook or Twitter might have seen me say last week, one cannot deny God as the standard of goodness and thereby affirm humanity as the source of that standard without simultaneously making the necessary implication that slavery, genocide, and things along those lines are morally permissible as long as society allows it. In other words, if we don't think that the standard of goodness is found in God himself, but that it's something that humanity has come up with, that something that we've invented as we've gone along, then whatever humanity at large deems morally acceptable goes. As we look back throughout history, however, what we see is that humanity has consistently demonstrated a propensity to accept and even advocate sinful behavior. At one time, slavery was accepted fairly widely here in the United States, widely enough that it was not only legal, but it was common practice. The fact that it was morally acceptable to that day and age, the people thought that it was morally acceptable back then, however, does not mean that it was really okay. It doesn't mean that it was really morally acceptable to have slaves who were both viewed and treated as if they were subhuman. Of course that's not okay. Obviously, The human standard of morality failed because even if it was legal to be a slave owner, it was still an unethical practice. In Nazi Germany, it was illegal for a German citizen to shelter someone of Jewish heritage. In Nazi Germany, if you knew where Jews were hiding and you failed to inform the authorities, you yourself would be thrown in prison. And yet, if a person informed the authorities of the whereabouts of Jews, they were, in essence, sending those people off to one of the greatest genocidal atrocities in the history of mankind. Again, the human standard of morality failed, because even if the law required that a German citizen report the whereabouts of people of Jewish heritage, it was unethical to do so, which is exactly why Nazi guards were tried and convicted for crimes against humanity. They'd say, well, this is what my commanding officer told me to do. Guess what? That's not an excuse. And the courts didn't accept that as an excuse either. Today, a woman can walk into an abortion clinic and arrange to terminate her pregnancy by slicing her baby to pieces while it's still in her womb. That is murder, friends. And yet, this is perfectly legal. And yet, again, this is just as unethical as the Nazi Holocaust. The fact that humanity has deemed it morally acceptable does not make it so. That doesn't make it morally acceptable. So the fact that any of these types of practices have ever 
been both legal and practiced in any society is a perfect demonstration of humanity's inability to create a moral standard apart from God. See, if we refuse to accept God as the the source of morality, the alternative is to accept a moral standard which changes. And I personally don't believe that it's ever morally acceptable in any place or in any time to murder an innocent child. Well, the 12th chapter of Romans focused primarily on living out our new lives in Jesus, our new identities in Jesus. And it culminated with Paul's instruction to not repay evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good. See, the answer to the problem of evil is that God is righteous, yes, and yes, God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, and his ultimate purpose is to defeat evil. He will restore his creation, and he will rule over it in righteousness. In other words, yes, evil persists for now, but God's plan is ultimately to overcome evil with good. Now, given that humanity is permeated at every level by sinful corruption— We long to see things made right by God, right? You know what I'm saying? Our desire should be to see the fulfillment of his desire. And if we're being honest, we might sometimes be tempted to take things into our own hands. Paul's audience in his letter to the Romans would have consisted primarily of Jews, and this was written during the time of Nero's rule over the Roman Empire. Of course, the Jews hated being under anyone else's rule, and so it was common for Jews to view their Old Testament heritage as a right to have a law unto themselves. So they arrogantly looked down on the Gentiles, and ancient historical writings reveal that they often acted like lawless citizens toward their established governments. So for some of the Christ followers in that day and age, it may have been tempting to act the same way as a means of overcoming the evil of the government with good. Now, Paul is completely opposed to any such idea because he knew that creating a disturbance with the authorities could hinder not only the spreading of the gospel, but also the peaceful practice of their faith. So with that in mind, Paul continues writing in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. He writes, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, this verse is actually setting the stage for an entire chapter devoted to an examination of the relationship between the church and the state, and the relationship that individuals, more specifically followers of Jesus, have to the human institutions of government which rule over them. Now, in case anyone was wondering whether they had just a a general right to defy the governing authorities. Paul's answer, to sum it up, is pretty simple. No. No, Paul says that instead of trying to subject your ideas of what should and should not be legal, the general principle is that we are to subject ourselves as followers of Jesus to the governing authorities. And the reason that Paul gives is pretty simple. The governing authorities are where they are, and they have the authority that they have because that's the right and privilege that God has given them in his sovereignty. Now, we learn in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts that there had been uprisings of patriotic Jews in the area. In speaking to the council of the temple about what to do with these followers of Jesus who were growing, Gamaliel, a very wise and respected teacher of the day who was also, by the way, Paul's teacher, Gamaliel said this, Men of Israel, 
Take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. That's what we read in Acts chapter 5, verses 35 to 37. So in other words, Gamaliel is saying that these Christ followers, the apostles and those who were following them, these Christ followers who are causing them to feel stress and to, to feel anxiety are probably just another uprising. And with that being the case, it's probably just a matter of time before the movement dies. Gamaliel's wise enough, however, to recognize that if this movement of Christ followers truly is a God thing, if it's something that God is behind, then the council, the council of the temple, will have no chance of stopping them because they'll be going toe-to-toe with God. Good advice, Gamaliel. The book of Matthew records an encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees who saw that there was this opportunity to catch Jesus either sinning against God or rebelling against the governing authorities. So starting in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, we read, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him, that is Jesus, they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him. That's interesting. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any way. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Well, that's a trap, all right. They've got the Herodians there. They've got the religious people. They've got the Roman Empire's representatives there. Oh, Jesus, what are you going to do in this situation? We've got you trapped. That's what they're thinking, right? The poll tax would support a governmental institution which was politically corrupt and sinful, right? So to support it would be to support what they're doing. On the other hand, to refuse to pay, to refuse to pay this poll tax would be reason for the governing authorities to throw Jesus in jail. So the Pharisees looked at this as kind of a a win-win situation. Matthew continues in uh, chapter 22, verse 18, writing, But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, first of all, Let's ask why Jesus might have called them hypocrites. Why did he call them hypocrites? I mean, were they just hypocrites in general? Or was it something that they were doing in that specific situation? Well, it was both. They were almost always upholding and advocating a standard that they themselves didn't live up to. And here Jesus is pointing out that they're hypocritical and that they want the benefit offered by the government, that is, having money, uh, without accepting the responsibility of being obedient to the governing authorities. So what Jesus is doing here, he's basically reminding the Pharisees that the prophets had foretold that Israel would be under foreign governing authorities because they had refused to remain faithful to God. The Pharisees walked into this situation thinking that they were going to spring a trap on Jesus, but the plan backfired and they sprung the trap on themselves instead. Now the principle that Paul's getting at is the same principle that Jesus was trying to teach. Being obedient to the governing authorities generally isn't the equivalent of defying God's commands. It's a reminder 
of God's sovereignty and that he has things under control. God didn't promise that all things would be good. No, bad things do happen. But he does promise that all things will work for the good of those who love him. Give Caesar what's rightfully his and give God what's rightfully his. Well, what's rightfully God's? Everything, right? And so our call here is to trust in God's ability to work things out for his own glory and our good, even when we probably don't completely understand exactly how it's all going to work out. God has what is his under control, which is why Paul continues by writing here in verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So Paul's telling us that because the governing authorities derive their authority and their position of authority from God, those who oppose the governing authorities can expect to be on the receiving end of some consequences. Can you imagine how freaked out the prophet Jeremiah must have been when God came to him and he instructs Jeremiah, go tell the messengers of the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon to tell their masters, the kings of those areas, that God himself has said, quote, I have made the earth, the men, and the beasts which are on the face of the earth by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. That's from Jeremiah chapter 27, verses 4 to 7. And then God puts the icing on the cake, adding, it will be that the nation or the kingdom which will not serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I... God's saying this, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence. That's from verse 8. So again, the reminder here, this has always been the case, the reminder here is that God is in control, and when you willfully rebel against the governing authorities that God has put in place, you're also rebelling against what God has in his sovereignty ordained. All governing power flows directly from God and can be traced right back to him. The follower of Jesus is to find a way to be subjected primarily to God and secondly to any power that he has ordained, any power that he has given to human government. Now, we should note that Paul doesn't specify what type of condemnation one will face for defying the governing authorities. It's not condemnation from God, okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 1 can assure us of that fact. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So no, Paul's referring to human condemnation here. He's saying that if we, as followers of Jesus, defy the government, we can expect to find trouble by the government before long. Why is that? Paul explains here in verse 3, writing, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So what he's saying is that every government, even evil regimes, will have the goal of seeing their citizens living at peace with one another. They'll, they'll look for good behavior. That's what every government wants. Everyone recognizes good behavior, and good behavior keeps things peaceful. So if we're doing good things, if we're doing the right thing, Paul says that the authorities will have praise for us. Peter advocated the same type of thing for his audience when he wrote, keep your behavior 
excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's from first Peter chapter two, verses twelve to fifteen. So there are two reasons, however, that we, we should make note of. Two reasons for the follower of Jesus to resist the authorities. The first is connected to the preaching of the gospel. What would you do today if the governing authorities, wherever you live, told you that you no longer had the right to preach the gospel anywhere or at any time? They decided, you know what? Church services are done with. We're not having church in our community anymore. You are no longer allowed to mention the name of Jesus. You are no longer allowed to proclaim the gospel. What would you do if that happened? What are we supposed to do in a situation like that? And of course, there are literally dozens of countries around the world right now, today, that have that very type of law in place. So should a follower of Jesus living under such laws be compliant with the law? That's actually the same situation that the apostles faced in Acts chapter 4. They'd been arrested for proclaiming the gospel. And so we read, and when the council had summoned them, the, the apostles, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered to them and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. That's from verses 19 and 20 of chapter 4. So again, in Acts chapter 5, they're out proclaiming the gospel. And when the authorities get word of their disobedience, they're mad, right? So they arrest them again. And so the high priest calls them out and says to them, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood, that is Jesus' blood, upon us. Peter and the apostles responded by saying, We must obey God rather than... Than men. That's from Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. So the principle here is that the direct commands of Jesus, the direct commands of Jesus, negate any commands by man which are to the contrary of what Jesus has already commanded. If we're instructed by the authorities not to proclaim the name of Jesus, our duty is still to remain faithful to Christ, even if that means spending some time in prison, and even if that means the possibility of being martyred. This is serious, serious business. So that's one reason. One reason would be if the authorities tell us not to preach the gospel at any time or in any place. The second reason to defy the governing authorities is if sin is not only legalized, but demanded or required by law. In Nazi Germany, again, Everyone, including Christians, were legally obligated to report the whereabouts of Jews. To do so, however, was to murder the Jews being reported, at least in their hearts, if not in actuality. Yeah, some people survived the, the prison camps and everything, but they knew, they knew that it was not the right thing to do. That's the moral law. If the government orders us to do what is evil, we must disobey. Again, even if it means being punished. If the government forces us to sin by law, we are to defy that law. 
Every human institution of government is going to make mistakes, and that's why the problem of evil persists. God will bless or curse the governing bodies and the individuals it consists of, just as he will forgive or punish them. But that's all in his hands. It's not in ours. We have to leave that in God's hands, choosing to keep our testimony strong by refusing to do evil under any circumstances. And we have to be careful not to be ruled by our selfish or sinful desires. Our judgments are flawed. But to remember that God is in control and nothing can happen that he doesn't allow to happen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, we have the right to proclaim the name of Jesus in these podcasts. Lord, I know that this is reaching countries where it is illegal to preach the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen those followers of Jesus, that you will make them bold, that you will give them courage, and, Lord, that you will, uh, that you will eventually free them from the laws that, are, uh, that are, are causing them to be persecuted. Lord, we love you, and we trust that you work all things to our good, even when we don't understand. I pray, Lord, that you will give each one of us, even those of us who live in free countries where we can freely proclaim the name of Jesus, that you will give us boldness but grace to teach the name of Jesus, proclaim the name of Jesus, and to be a light wherever we are for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus.